There's a time and a place for black and white, like when you're learning to play piano, or when you want a big two-toned cookie, or when shopping for a pet zebra. But if you want to attract customers, there's no room for black and white, so go to Staples. Staples specializes in bold, hard-to-miss color printing. And now at Staples, get 20% back in rewards on color printing, from banners to brochures and copies to presentations. Print more color, save more money at Staples. In-store only. Ends 11 10, 18. Restrictions apply. See store associate or staples.com slash 20 back for details. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, Rams Nation. This is Van Ram. With me, as always, 3K. How you doing today, 3K? Man, I'm doing all right. I mean, one of the things we were talking about that I finally had to experience today is non-football weekend days. Weekend days. We day in. I don't even know what I'm trying to say there. But you, you get what I'm saying, man. I didn't know what to do Saturday, you know. I'm looking for the SEC game on CBS. I'm trying to find out, you know, who, who's got the ESPN2, who, who's, who, what it looks like online, and there's just nothing, nothing at all. It's nothing. It's a, You know what it is? It's kind of it's windy and cold here. The temperature's been dropping all day. The wind chill's about 20 degrees. i tell you what it reminds me of. It's like a preview of February, that awful, it, awful, awful time of the year between football, baseball, not quite early enough for the draft. Whew, it's rough. Rough times, 3K. It is. I believe you, man. We had some, we got some cold weather, well, I guess cooler weather down here in Georgia, and it was kind of wet and rainy. I mean, it's good football weather. It's a shame it's got to go to waste. We did have some high school playoffs on earlier. I was watching that. You know, I love watching my my future NFLers. And that, that they're still having high school football in Georgia. It's wonderful. It's not Texas. Now, granted, it is not on the level of Texas, but it's still good stuff. It's still fun. <laughs> well, not nothing really is. Texas is kind of its own special place when it comes to high school football. There's really no it's comparison. Silly. It's just silly. I know, I know they got the uh, the new stadium that went up in Allen is like the fourth biggest stadium in the country, and it's only going to be used for high school football. Awesome. Jeez. And I'm Insanity, pretty sure I just said fourth biggest stadium in the country, and of course by country I meant Texas. So, so Paul, well, yeah. slip of the tongue there. Oh. Republic, the Republic of Texas. There you go. That's right. That's right. Three <laughs> K. I don't have a segue from Republic of Texas to something related to the Rams. So, I mean, take a stab at it if you want. But I don't know. Jason Smith. That, that's about as good as I can get. That's about all I can think of. You know, we've got a, a Texan and an Oklahoma on the, the anchoring the offense, if you will. But uh, other okay. than that, it's uh it's it's hard it's hard to pivot from that. It's 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 really tough. Three K, what's on your mind this week? What are you thinking? Uh, you got a big game against the Saints coming off uh, a nice two road wins in a row. After a while, after a while, where it looked like the Rams may never win or may never win a game on the road, and they go and win two. Not the prettiest wins, but they found a way to got it, to get it done. I think that was pretty impressive against Arizona. Overall, you know, overcoming the hardships, finding a way to make things happen, taking advantage of a weak team. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. You know, the more I've had, we've had a good week to think about this. You know, since the Rams got. The, a really, really nice quality road win against Arizona. It's the kind of win that, you know, it wasn't a pretty game, but we did what we needed to do, and we got a win. And, yeah. uh, you know, we caught Arizona at the right time for Rams fans because they're just in the bottom of the tailspin. But looking ahead to this Saints game, 
you know, if, if you want to win, it's going to be a shootout. You know, they're scoring points left and right. Breeze has thrown for at least 300 yards in five of his last six games. You know, Cincinnati, yeah. they, they won 34-30. to Dallas, they won 30-27. to So it's not like they've been blowouts, but they're just scoring so many points. So I think the key is going to be I, – I, I don't know that we can really limit – uh, a breeze run offense, especially at, now that we're looking at it, it looks like we're going to be without Bartell. I, I really think we're just going to have to get a lot of points, and, and whether that comes through Sam Bradford just blowing up to a ridiculous degree or whether we get some longer runs out of Steven Jackson and the run game is able to do the kind of things that we've been waiting for, like what we saw out of Jason Smith on that pin and pull, it's called, uh, where Steven Jackson got the touchdown. You know, mm-hmm. wh- wherever it's going to come from, it's going to have to come from that position a lot more often tomorrow because we're going to have to put up some points to to stay in this one. Yeah, and that's going to be I mean, and that's a really interesting test for the Rams because they've they've broken the 32 the 30 point mark twice this season. Against Washington and then two weeks ago, well, three weeks ago against Denver. That's um <clears throat> only twice. Now you you know, you look at this offense and you you you're not surprised, but a little bit you are surprised because you think with any any offense with Steven Jackson and Sam Bradford at quarterback, you still ought to be able to score a few points here and there, and and certainly the Rams have been have been better at that, and hopefully the offense comes out and, and is ready to you know hit on all centers. I think this is a big week for Steven Jackson. Um, you know, New Orleans has has, uh, has given up some rushing yards. Now we said the same thing about Arizona, and, and it was still kind of tough to to find room down there too. But and ditto for Denver. So maybe though. Uh, Maybe the balance of that, though, works out in the Rams' favor. I, I don't know. 3K, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, maybe. It's going to be interesting to see how it plays out because I don't know how, to, how, how they're going to try to game plan for us now. We saw a different game plan out of Arizona, and, and that was trying to limit uh, what Bradford could do on the periphery of the field, and he, he really wasn't that successful. Only threw for 187 yards, leading receiver. Yeah. I know it was Brandon Gibson, and he only had like some like 50 yards. Obviously, the only touchdown that we got out of the game came from that Steven Jackson run, so it's not like he had a great game. Maybe it was something mentally that he wasn't there. Maybe he wasn't having a lot of success identifying things pre-snap, kind of what you saw out of Brady in that uh, manhandling on Monday where he was just walking up, figuring things out before he even started, and then as soon as he let go of the ball, was uh, you know the play was already stabbing the Jets in the back because he was running such an efficient offense. I mean – it could be that game where you're looking at Steven Jackson to have to carry the team on his shoulders. But like we've seen so many times before, man, when you don't give him anything to do, he's not superhuman. You know, you you can only make so yeah. many great broken tackles throughout a game. So it's going to be interesting to see what kind of individual efforts we get out of Bradford and Jackson. But at the same time, what kind of game plan we get from the Saints because – I don't know what – you know with Greg Williams, you know you're going to get a lot of blitzes. You know it's going to be coming from different areas. But all that means is you're going to have different areas to attack. You're going to have different mismatches and different uh, opportunities to do things offensively. So it's going to be interesting to see what the counter game plan to that is that comes from Shermer. Yeah, and it's interesting too. You know, one thing, um, it it seems like – and I don't have the statistics in front of me, but, you know, whenever Bradford has had a bad game this season – you know he's rebounded pretty well the next week. I mean he's gone back, he's hit the tape pretty good. He's, you know they've they've had a good week of practice and 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 you know they've been able to come out and they usually I I believe I that they script the first two series or so of the game. You know not overwhelmingly, but they kind of go in with an idea of you know what kind of offense what the what kind of plays they're going to run for the first two series. Now that you know changes 
depending on what's going on on the field, obviously. But, you know, that's a, that's a big deal. You know, you mentioned Greg Williams, the blitzing. That, the no huddle's been a big key for the Rams' offense. I mean, when they work out in the, that no huddle, it's amazing the things that Sam Bradford can do there versus, you know, the traditional, you know, huddle up, walk to the line offense. It's a, it's a big difference, and I think that's something they're really going to have to employ in New Orleans, not having, you know, the X's and O's in front of me here. But that's, a, that's, going, to be a, that's going to be key for the Rams this year. It really ought to be key all year. And I think the only criticism is that, they, you know, in the second half of sitting on a lead, they dry up and go away from that no-huddle offense, and that's when they kind of start to put themselves at risk a little more. You know, certainly you saw that against Denver. You've seen that against San Diego and Carolina to an extent and some of the other games this year. But, um, you know, we'll see what happens. It's a, it's a, This is a tough game. I really think this is a pretty tough game. And, and if you think back to a few episodes ago on Turf Show Radio, I believe it was the halfway point of the season, we kind of went through and made our picks, and I don't recall anybody picking the Rams to win the game this week. Now, however, I think that, you know, uh, it, it looks things look a little better for the Rams. Ricky, you made yeah. a comment on the site the other day that this game isn't as daunting. I mean, it's daunting in the sense that New Orleans is so incredibly talented and Breeze is a great quarterback who can make, thing ha- make things happen no matter the score, what the scoreboard says, no matter the situation. But – you mentioned that this, you know, there was some. This was kind of an exciting matchup for the Rams. You want to elaborate on that? Yeah, I mean, the thing is, some games, even the Arizona game or even the Denver game on the road, when you know more or less you're a better team, it's just a matter of executing. Or when you know that you're seriously overmatched, which we saw repeated ad nauseum last year. That's not the kind of game we're going to get tomorrow. The, the pregame story about going into this is that the Rams have a challenge. The same way they had a challenge against the 49ers. We failed that challenge. Now we've got a different opportunity in a, te- in a team that's established itself, obviously, as Super Bowl champions, to, to go against w- one of the premier teams in the NFC and prove that we, are, that we deserve to be in the discussion. I think that's what's most interesting about it, is that this is a game that we're, we're more or less not supposed to win, but how often do we see the team that's not supposed to win execute, game plan well, remain disciplined, and do the things they need to do to get a win over those 60 minutes. And that's the kind of opportunity you get out of a real challenge when you have a team that's prepared for it. We've got the right kind of mental people in place, Spagnuolo, Bradford, Jackson. Those are the kind of characters you need to get a W out of these games. The question is whether that's going to translate onto the field. But certainly, in terms of character, things things make this game, uh, you know, I don't want to see. I don't want to say that it's there for the taking, but it's the kind of opportunity that if you really want to be considered a playoff team, this is the kind of game you've got to go out and win. And you look at yeah. the Jets, Patriots, Pittsburgh, Baltimore, even Tampa Bay, Atlanta. Out of this last weekend, those were statement games by teams holding off their other the opponents that they were facing. This is a game where we can't let the Saints hold us off unless we want to deal with this, you know, Rams don't deserve it, NFC West doesn't deserve it kind of talk throughout the week. That's what you that's what you get when you don't put it on the line against the best teams. That's what the Jets have had to face despite the fact they're, what, 9-3? and three? I mean, that's uh-huh. the reality. So if we want to really earn that place in the playoffs and really get ready for the kinds of the kinds of challenges that Bradford's going to face over his career as a playoff quarterback, this is the best first step. This is the real first, you know, 
entree into that world that we've had maybe since Atlanta, but I don't think he was as ready for that Atlanta game as he's going to be this week. It's really an appetizing matchup. No, and I don't know why. I mean, I, I, it, this is purely anecdotal, but it seems like this week has been kind of it, – it's been a little different this week. It, it hasn't gone – it's gone as fast as any other week because, because obviously there's the same amount of hours between the last game and the next game. But it seems like there's almost that – I don't really have a good analogy for it, but you know how sometimes you're in those situations where, you know, you mentally – things have kind of literally slowed down for you. Like, you know, mm-hmm. if you think of a baseball player at the plate hit, ready to hit a pitch or, you know, a football player, to use the most obvious example, a football player with the ball in his hand slowing the game down mentally to find his receiver, you know, the quarterback to find his receiver or find the open man. Um, it, it, this week has kind of had that feeling about it. And I don't know if it's just because – you know, the Rams are riding high. They're coming off two straight wins on the road, which is always, you know, tough. It's been obviously tough for the Rams this year, but it's tough for any team any year to go and win two straight games on the road like that. Um, you know, I don't know if that's it or not, but you just get the sense that that good teams really start to focus down the stretch. And I think you look back at, you know, the beginning of the year with some of the teams in the league where, that yeah, it was a little wacky. San Diego's the – the most extreme example of a team like this where you just, you know, you're garbage for the first few weeks of the season, and then you kind of are able to rein it in and, and, and dial it up a notch and, and get your focus and, and get it going. And, and I guess I'm kind of anxious. It seems like maybe the Rams kind of have that going for them now, and that's that's a characteristic of a good football team. Now, I know the Rams aren't as good as the Patriots and, and teams like that, obviously, yet. I mean, they're getting there, but that's something that's been really – a non-quantifiable thing about the Rams that I pick up on this week, that this is a team that's starting to hit a stride here, that's finding ways to win even when the parts of the program that need to work aren't working. And that's that's a good sign, I think, for where the Rams are headed. This season, the season beyond that, the season beyond that even. But I, I really think that's something positive this week. Now, you know, playing New Orleans at New Orleans is not going to be an easy thing in and of itself, but... Um, you know, I agree with you, 3K. This is really a game that the Rams can, you know, I think they can go in there and make a statement about who they are as a team. They really have to. Yeah, and the conditions are right just because of what you were talking about. You know, it's one of those things where the the lesser teams in the NFL are constantly dealing with these these outside issues. Teams like Tennessee that has a – you know, Jeff Fisher, Vince Young issue, and then now they've got a new quarterback and Kenny Britt and Randy Moss, or, you know, maybe even a team like Arizona where you got the whole Wizenhunt Leinert thing. Now you've got quarterback issues. You don't know how you're using your defense or how they're supposed to be used. How is the line, you know, disintegrated to the point it has just a few years removed from a Super Bowl? When you're a bad team, all those outside things take away from the focus on what's coming up. You know, the players say it all the time. We're just focused on next week. We're just focused on next week. And they are. But the media and the fans aren't because, you know, we, we pay attention to everything. That's why we can fill a whole day with fan posts and stories at Turf Show Times. Yeah. When you're a good team, the the reason everything boils down to next week is because all that extraneous stuff doesn't matter. You know, last year at this time we were talking about Keith Null, Bolger Bowler, where are we going moving ahead? You know, yeah. Steven Jackson, is this the end of an era? We were talking about offensive line issues. We were talking about how the defense couldn't stop anybody. 
Now we've more or less got a, a relatively similar defense and a new quarterback, and all the other questions fade out. Now the stuff that we talk about with draft, you know, some people are saying, why are we even talking about the draft? We've got meaningful football. Those outside yeah. things, the things on the, in your peripheral view, when you suck, they're really important. But when you're good, you you don't you just don't pay attention to them. Everything goes into that next game, and that's a perfect condition for a game against the Saints tomorrow because it's just so important. That's why. Yeah, and now you know it's it, it's worth saying too that the Saints obviously it's not a this isn't a no stakes game for the Saints. They're in the playoff hunt themselves. They're they're chasing Atlanta for the NFC South title right now, and they're trying to keep wild card hopes alive. I mean, there there's no guarantee that the Saints are going to make the playoffs. So every game matters to them. So the, they're looking at a, at a, the schedule makers' gift, what they think is a gift from the schedule makers in a game against the Rams here in week 14 as they're trying to sort out their division hopes and, and sort out the playoff picture. You know, the Saints are going to be a team that's coming in focused on that too. you got any any team with a guy like Drew Brees isn't going to be, isn't, isn't going to, isn't, you know, it's not a half-assed deal for them on a week-in, week-out basis. It's a it's a big deal, and they'll be looking at that too. Now we talked a little bit about the focus of the offense this week, and, and I think you're right, 3K. This has got to be the Rams have to put up points. This isn't going to be those one of those situations where you can sit on two touchdowns and a couple of field goals and run the and work the clock until the end of the game. I, you're gonna you, this is a this is a game that if things go the way you know a, a favorable scenario. It's going to come down to who scores the last points of the fourth quarter. It really could do that. And, and in a way, it, that's what happened with the Rams and Saints last year in St. Louis. But uh, this is a – it's a big deal. And now, now the defense has obviously has a big big matchup on their hands with the with the Saints offense. And we mentioned Bartell is almost like almost sure to be out this week. Now that hurts the Rams a little bit, but because the Saints spread the ball around so much, it's not like – Bartell's going to have a number one receiver to cover it. And the rest of the defense has, has more than their fair share of work cut out for him. What, I, I look at the defense, 3K, and I think, you know, here they, they've got a blitz. They've got to find ways to get to Breeze early. And you look at the Saints' losses this season, and it's always come down to, 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 to stunting the work that that offense does early in the game. Is that – what do you think about it? Is it I think that's thought? true. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I agree with you. We've got to be able to get pressure. And if you're not getting it in your four-man rushes, then you've got to open up the blitz, especially with a guy like Breeze. We all know how good he is. Um, I think the key that hurts me about the Bartell injury is how good he's been downfield. You know, one of the things you had posted, I think it was two weeks ago, was how well we, we've we defended the deeper passes. And that's something yeah. that New Orleans is, you know, incredibly, incredibly skilled at, which is throwing the ball up 30, 40 yards down the field to numerous guys, whether it's Meacham, Colston, uh, Henderson, Lance, Moore. And, and, you know, even you can work in Jeremy Shockey for a tight end who runs some deeper mm-hmm. routes for a tight end. Um, and I think that's what really hurts because – you. You know, we've seen how this defense is willing to allow things, you know, shorter plays over the middle and try to stop the run and limit those intermediate and deeper passes. And to a degree, it's worked at times, and sometimes it's been kind of frustrating. But we just don't have a huge, huge base of talent on the defense. I think that's more or less got to be the game plan for tomorrow. You can't let them have easy points. You know they're going to score. New Orleans is going to score points. The worst – I think the worst game they've had this year was that uh, the season opener against Minnesota, and they only had two touchdowns. They ended up with 14 points. Other than that, I mean, they've been – let me look. Let me pull it up. They've had th- at least 30 points in each of their last four games. 
Um, before that, yeah, was, they've won you know, five 20, straight. Five straight, including a twenty to ten victory against Pittsburgh. So it's not like this is a offense that you can hope isn't going to be clicking. You know they're going to come in and work. The the thing to me, and I'll just throw this at you. You know, everybody throws out the cliche trap game. But I think it's interesting yeah. to look at what New Orleans has going, you know, knowing that they've had five wins in a row. But a four-game stretch out of those was Carolina, Seattle, Dallas, Cincinnati. So it's not like the Saints have played a good team since Pittsburgh. This is their first time really getting into the, the final, you know, quarter of their schedule and really putting their, their nose on the grindstone because they've got us at home. Then they go on the road to Baltimore and Atlanta and then finish up against Tampa Bay. So they've got a brutal last four. The key, I think, for them is how, what are they going to do tomorrow? If they can make it six straight against us, then they've got a lot of momentum. But, you know, when, when you talk about trap game, part of what you're suggesting is that teams are going to look past the game in front of them. Uh, that might be the case tomorrow. What do you think? Do you think the, that St. Louis may have an opportunity to take take advantage of a New Orleans team that's looking ahead to Baltimore and Atlanta? Well, and I'll tell you something with the Saints that I, I, I noticed this season, and I by no means have watched all 13 Saints games this season, but – they're a team that um, that doesn't always seem to have a, a, a solid focus on things. I mean, you go back and look at the Cleveland game. My God, you know, not that the Browns. I'm not to demean the Browns because I think they're they've been a, a nice, a pleasant little surprise there. But uh, you know, you go back and look at that game and some of the other games New Orleans had, and it's always kind of had to come. I mean, these are this is a team that shouldn't be taking it to the fourth quarter as often as they are with some of the teams that some of the matchups where they're having to do that. You know, Seattle, when not Seattle didn't come out of the fourth quarter, but, you know, for a while there it looked like Seattle was kind of holding their own with them. And sure. it's just uh, uh, that's where I think, you know, the Rams could could really catch them, can catch them sleeping on this. And and um, I, I really think you're right in that, you know, New Orleans is going to be looking ahead. They've focused so much on, the wild card and then the NFC South in the race with Atlanta there. And, you know, to have a week, a, a schedule that includes, that goes Baltimore, Atlanta, and then Tampa Bay, that's a that's a big, big, big deal for them. And, and so, you know, if, if you're going to catch a team sleeping, this is the week to do it, and this is the team to do it with. So, um, you know, it's it's all about, I guess in my opinion, it's all going to come down to if if it is that kind of game, You've got to keep them from mounting any kind of late rally. And that's the thing you worry about with the Rams a little bit. You, you saw what happened in Denver, and that's why I say earlier that, you know, they've got to put points on the board in the third quarter the same way they do in the first or second quarter or even the fourth quarter. They've got to no huddle, put points. You can't have a lead that's big enough against this team. If you can get a lead at all, you cannot have a big enough lead against the Saints when you run the kind of offense they run. I mean, you – Rams fans ought to be familiar with the kind of offense they run. It's a variation of the greatest show on turf. And it really is. In last year, I mean, I think it was as prolific as anything you ever saw with the greatest show on turf. So you know what that can you know what can happen with a team like that. Fourteen yeah, points got, is nothing for fifteen minutes for. Yeah, they like put up points and they're getting their you know their Marshall Falk back as well now. Reggie Bush is back. He had uh, five carries last week. They're starting to integrate him back into the offense. I, you know, you could question about whether they're ready to to put him in with significant, you know, game time against uh, on the line against a, a game that means so much. Obviously, last week wasn't mm-hmm. a, a huge game for them against Cincinnati, but on the road back to back, Dallas Cincinnati, they've been working him in. 
and uh, he got his three receptions last week, didn't get a yard out of the three, but you know, they're bringing him back, and it definitely adds another layer of complexity to that offense. So it's another thing the Rams wow, got to be ready for. That's right, and he, you know, he burned the Rams for two touchdowns last year. He can play. He can. I mean, I know, I know, play. a lot of people want to. Go ahead, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, you know, he has the kind of, he, he, you know, he's been limited because of his injury, obviously, but, you know. If there's a week you w- you wouldn't mind seeing Reggie Bush to get involved, this is a good week for them from the New Orleans perspective because Reggie Bush is a good matchup considering some of the weak spots in the Rams' defense. Don't you think, especially this outside linebacker issue we would talk about all season, Reggie Bush is the kind of player that can they can really exploit that. And especially the way they use him. I mean, it's like, it's like you talked about last year, the kind of game he had. They they understand what to make out of a guy like Reggie Bush. And I was just going to say a lot of people, I don't want to say bust, but they always question the value of taking a Reggie Bush second overall in the draft. That's irrespective of how much value he brings to a team because he's so versatile and he's electric. When he breaks plays open, he's going to get you as much value as anybody can in the league at what he does. He's he's on par with a guy like Dexter McCluster. You know, people talk about electricity. Um, Jacoby Ford for yeah. Oakland. I mean, that's the kind of thing that he brings. So he may not, you know, I know people question his value and say, oh, Reggie Bush isn't that, isn't that great. It's not that he's not great. It's just that there's that cloud over him because he was taken second overall. But on a team where you've got essentially four running backs, you know, they got Julius Jones, they got Chris Ivory, they got Reggie Bush if you count him, and they got Pierre Thomas. Now Jones and uh, Thomas back are, this week too. Yeah, I mean they're listed as probable, but uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see them get in the mix because, you know, when you're when you're a team like the Rams with Stephen Jackson and people are clamoring for a change of pace back, they've got four running backs, so there's a lot of uh, yeah. pace changes going on on the field when you've got a depth chart that thick at the position. <laughs> Yeah, that's a pretty – I mean, that's a well-stacked offense any way you look at it. And, you know, it's an offense, too, that, that – it's it, you know, none of those – those are good receivers, but none of them exactly are standout receivers that, you know, you fit that number one mold that we've been talking about all season, you know, looking at the Rams receiving situation. You know, yeah, they're just I mean, guys that – they get ahead, the matchup, they get the – they you know, if they're open, they'll get the ball. Yeah, I was going to say the only one that comes close is Marcus Colston, but – it, it's almost that, you know, they were able to exploit his uh, the fact that the league was unfamiliar with his talents when he first came in the league, and that's why you've seen him, I guess, his numbers kind of drop off. And, and it's not a referendum on him as a player. It's the fact that the offense and a quarterback like Breeze is able to spread the ball around with such ease and such, you know, such efficiency, the way he does it and the way he operates that offense, kind of what we're hoping to see more of Sam Bradford that he's got better at over the weeks of this season that, you know, you, you can't look at a guy and say, yeah, he's a number one type simply because nobody's going to be able to get that many targets. So, you know, if, if there was yeah. one, like I'm saying, it, it might be Marcus Colston, but he's more just the, the linchpin in an offense that is willing to feature everybody that's on the field at any given time. And the Rams do the same thing, whether it's Badgema getting in the end zone hole, Manuwinui from tight end spot. You got wide receivers all over the field, Amendola, Alexander, you know, obviously Robinson, Gibson, Clayton when he was healthy. We know Avery's going to come back. Anybody that's on the offensive side of the Rams is going to have to be ready to get involved. And, and that's kind of what we saw against Atlanta a couple weeks ago, and that's definitely what we're going to see tomorrow against New Orleans. Well, it's interesting, too, Do you know, talking about this. It seems like the Rams, they're spreading the ball out a lot more now than, than they – than they were at the beginning of the season. And that's obvious, you know, to, to an extent, yeah, rookie quarterback, so he's always got that guy he can kind of trust to 
to find him and you know find him and trust him to catch the ball. Danny Amendola once Mark Clayton was down, perfect example of that. But you know they're really starting to spread it around a little more. Amendola what had was it one or two catches last week? You know they didn't yeah. get it done with Amendola last week. Brandon Gibson's really become more of the <clears throat> in recent weeks more more of the the main receiver. The tight ends, Daniel Fells, Billy Bajama are involved in the game plan a lot lately, and I think. You go back and look at the team last year. You were, in, in, had you told me this time in 2009 that Billy Bajima would have a two touchdown game and, and however many receptions he's got already, which you know isn't a lot by comparison, but for Billy Bajima it's a lot. I would have said no way, doesn't make any sense. But man, they're finding a way to do it, and they're finding a way to hit guys and and, and feed the ball out there. You got Alexander, who's good for the deep routes now. And, you know, you're probably looking at him at 20 snaps a game is what he's been playing. They're talking about up in, up in that a little bit. So, you know, you could be looking at 25, 30 snaps for DX tomorrow. That's a big deal. So you got DX, Amendola, Gibson, Robinson stepped it up a little bit lately. Um, that's a – you know, they're, they're spreading the ball out like that, and then that's a good sign for the Rams. It's a good sign for Bradford, and it's a good sign heading into, heading into a game like tomorrow where, you know, they really are going to need to put up points. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the easiest ways to take a lot of pressure off a, a young quarterback, an inexperienced quarterback, is to allow him to, to go anywhere he wants on the field. If you're only scripting, you know, a play or, or one player into your pass routes where you have, that number one guy is going to be your primary or secondary receiver as you go through the progressions, a lot of times against good defenses, that guy's not going to be open, and you see uh, a lot of what we saw from Bradford in the early part of the season, trying to force the ball in because he knows this is where the play is supposed to go, this is who I'm supposed yep. to go to, and I've just got to get it done. Um, I think as the season's gone on, he's gained greater fluency in being able to manage the field to make those kind of hot reads with his receivers, whether it's calling them inside on a wide receiver screen, whether it's having that experience and the, the knowledge and the you know that kind of sixth sense with a receiver knowing that he's going to take this to the corner without having to – to be able to talk about that before the play so that the defense gets thrown out. And like you said, being able to go to different guys. we got, I think, five different receivers who have now eclipsed the 25 reception mark uh, so far this season. And that just shows that, you know, with that kind of versatility, with that kind of diversity in your passing game, you're not forcing the, the defense to say, okay, we know when we face, uh, you know, Arizona, you've got the game plan for Larry Fitzgerald. When you face yeah. Seattle, you know that Mike Williams is going to be involved in the passing game probably heavier than anybody else's. When you face the Rams, who, who are you really going to try to lock down? Danny Amendola? Okay, like we saw last week, lock him down. When you've got Denario Alexander, Robinson Gibson, and even Steven Jackson, who's up to 30 catches now in the season, you can do other uh-huh. things in the passing game, and that's to say nothing of tight ends. So uh, I think it's yeah. something that we're going to see more of in, in, as Bradford's career goes on, and I don't think that's a bad thing at all. No, not at all. And, and tomorrow, you know, we tomorrow would be a great week, the perfect week for the offense to really come out and have its best game of the year. Now, the offense looked pretty good against Denver in the early going, but, you know, the, to sustain that kind of – Scoring ability for four quarters is going to be the key tomorrow. Speaking of sustaining, 3K, have we sustained any callers yet? No, we got one on the line. I think it's our good friend David. We'll bring him on. Hey, what's going on, y'all? It's our show radio. Hey, guys. Rams are going to hey, bring in their tough. All right. Hey, what's on your mind, that? my man? Well, I've got a comment. I, I, you know, every time I hear this stuff about um, – about weak side linebacker, about the injuries, about the problems and all, it just kills me 
that we let Brandon Chiller go when we could have signed him on the cheap. And, you know, he's been, as, as I understand, he's continued to be solid, and I think he would be great. I really hope we're going to do something in draft or free agency, and I'm hoping this uh, new owner is going to make a huge difference there as far as being willing to fill those holes and such. But, oh, it just kills me that we don't have Chiller, particularly this week. Yeah. Yeah, and that's, you know, Chiller was one of those guys that was, you know, we've talked about the bad drafts from the the previous administration, you know, a lot. But, you know, there there were a lot of bad personnel moves besides the draft that the Zygmunt era, you know, has to its credit. And Chiller is a classic example of that. And I, I would almost say, you know, the problem with Chiller was the time that he came to the Rams. If he If he had been there three years later and looking back at it last year, I have no doubt that he'd still be on the team. But he just didn't fit the previous administration's, you know, uh, desire for what they wanted out of an outside linebacker. We had the same issue with guys like Will Witherspoon and Pisatino Isamoa that mm-hmm. people were questioning, why did we let those guys go? And the simple answer was they just didn't fit the system. They didn't fit what this this front office wanted in an outside linebacker. And you're seeing it out of guys like Vabor and Diggs. Now it's sad because you're like, wow, Vabor and Diggs, that's what they want. They just need somebody to execute those kind of plays to a greater degree than those guys have, but they fit the kind of bill out of what they want in an outside linebacker. You saw it from Steve Spagnuolo's time in New York, you know, what kind of guys he wants at outside linebacker. He doesn't want the headhunter. That's not just that's just not who he goes after. You know, guys like Aaron Curry that people were clamoring for in the draft, that's not a Steve Spagnuolo outside linebacker. And that's exactly what you get out of Brandon Chiller, a guy who executes, who's decisive, who's, you know, proficient enough in the game plan to be able to know what he's supposed to do and disciplined enough to complete uh, complete his role on every single given play. And I completely agree with you, man. It, it really hurts now because we know that he'd be the exact kind of outside linebacker that can help this defense get ready for the playoffs. Yeah, you know another injury I'm going to throw out there that this happened and it was kind of forgotten about because he was a seventh-round pick this year, but, you know, he was having a pretty good preseason, and, and it's Josh Hull. Linebacker Josh Hull, you know, he could play all three linebacker positions. He obviously wouldn't have been, I mean, this season the best estimation, he probably would have been a rotation guy. He was a rookie, obviously. He had to get up to speed on the scheme. But, um, you know, that's a guy that you probably, given what they've, the rotation they've gone through at linebacker, probably would have had some reps this season. And, and you know, it would just be interesting to have, to have seen what he accomplished. He, you know, out of Penn State. As, as I was about to say. People like to call it linebacker university. That's right. And one thing we talk about a lot of times when we talk about draft stocks, I brought it up a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about DeVere Posey out of Ohio State, that certain schools and certain programs have an ability to get guys ready for the NFL. When you talk about Iowa, you know when you get linemen, offensive or defensive linemen, that they're going to be NFL ready. You know when you get linebackers from Penn State, they're going to be NFL ready. You know when you get yeah. playmakers and athletic types from USC, they're going to be ready. It's just that, you know, it's one of those abilities that certain coaching staffs have in being able to to prepare players with enough technique that translates to the next level. When you see a guy like Sean Lee doing what he's doing for the Dallas Cowboys at the linebacker position and the fact that his draft stock wasn't consummate with his ability, that tells you what Penn State can do for linebackers. I have no doubt that Hull would have been a, a really nice rotation guy. If not at this point during the season, then certainly earlier had he stayed healthy. Yeah, absolutely. 
David, you, what else you got? On, hey, I was going to say, David, you, you got anything else Jer- on your mind, man? Uh, yeah, I was curious what do you guys think about Jerome Murphy. I know that our, our defense hasn't been as good when he's been in, and, of course, I think he's injured right now still. But um, do you guys see – what do you see as his ceiling? Do you think that we could eventually have a uh, Bradley Fletcher, Jerome Murphy – uh, tandem, starting tandem there that would really be something special or do you see a ceiling a little bit lower than that? I, I don't You know, just real quickly, I, I'll say, uh, you know, Murphy hasn't been bad. You know, he's a rookie and he's a good tackler. He's a hard hitter and I think that's a good start. He's been, uh, I kind of seem to think he's been a little better in run support, but, you know, he's a rookie and the experience level, He's he's not gotten as much play time as, you know, like Bradley Fletcher did last year just because the Rams had such a need at cornerback. And, you know, he's probably not as good at this point in his career as Bradley Fletcher was at this point in his career. Um, I think he'll be all right. I really do. I know we'll see what, you know, what the off season and the, and the season beyond this holds in store for him. But I think, you know, given that he's a rookie and, and, and the Rams have been a little more competitive, I think that he's just kind of been bumped more often than not for Justin King or Kevin Dockery to get in there and at that nickel spot. Although, you you know, you do see a lot of him at the nickel, so I, I don't know. 3K? Yeah, I think a lot of it depends on what the role that he's expected to fill is. I mean, you talked about the fact that Bradley Fletcher last year, um, I mean, the role that he stepped into was that of a starting cornerback, and he's embraced it. <coughs> Excuse me. He got better every single week last year until that injury, and, you know, he came back with no worse for wear this season, and it's obviously been a great pick and a great, you know, addition to the Rams' defense. When you talk about a guy like Jerome Murphy, though, knowing that Bartell and Fletcher are holding down those top two spots, you know, and I know Tevin uh, mentioned in the open thread for the show that he's still saying to trade Bartell. Bartell's been good in deep coverage. The issue has been, you know, limiting the things up front. And, and to that respect, how much better is Murphy going to be than either of those two? I don't see him being much better than them. You know, he's not an all-field corner. But like you said, he plays a very good physical game. He's a he's a great he's got great tackling technique for a corner. And to this point, the only role they've really asked him to try to take over is that nickel spot. Um, it, certainly, he doesn't have the experience versus you know guys like you talked about, whether it's Butler, King, or uh, even Kevin Dockery. But we know what Kevin Dockery is capable of. We saw that on the field. I don't think anybody wants to see that again. So the question then becomes. You know, what is the role for Murphy? If it's going to be a nickel corner, I'd like to see us give him some more time and and work that kind of physicality into that position so that he gets the kind of experience he's going to need moving forward. But at the same time, the Rams are going to have a guy that they can use into a very physical pass defense uh, over these, you know, the rest of these really, really important games that we got coming up these next couple weeks. Well, thanks, guys. I appreciate you answering my questions. Go Rams. No problem. That's hey, no problem, Dave. I'll keep you on so you can listen, my friend. All right. Thank you, Dave. Thanks, uh, Dave. 3K? Yeah. I was just going to say, question. I mean, we, we talk about the defense, and, you know, when you talk about the secondary, I think part of the problem that a lot of people are assuming is that because you see passes getting downfield, that it's always going to be the cornerback position that it's, that's at fault. I don't see that as being a case. A lot of the time I just think quarterbacks have way too much time to operate. So I'm really hoping tomorrow we don't get, we don't get a lot more of that because if we're giving Breeze time to get to do what he can, what he's capable of, it could get pretty ugly. Yeah, and you know one thing, you go back to in the Arizona game. Uh, you know, Chris Long didn't have as 
you know, he's had some great games this year. Now, part of it, I think Arizona just knew that they had to, they had to keep him out of the backfield at all costs, and even if that meant keeping a tackle and a tight end or a tackle and a running back on Chris Long at all times. But, you know, Long did not crash through like he usually does. He did not have as sure. good of a game last week. And, you know, that showed a little bit at the beginning, and then they started to kind of, you know, things kind of fell apart for Arizona after that. And then the Rams also started to get some pressure from other points. You saw two sacks from the safety position. Now, the safeties are another thing, you know, probably worth talking about a little bit here today, 3K. I I, I think Dahl and Atagwe have had a great season, especially Atagwe. Yeah, I think they, the thing is they've played their roles correctly. I mean, I've, we've been, I've been talking about that a lot tonight. But uh, I, I think you had, I think you hit it on the head in that story you had earlier today. Um, you know, when, when you have guys that are able to fly under the radar like James Butler, Craig Dahl, and to a degree OJ, um, a, a lot of times people are going to assume that because they're not making big plays, they're not they're not holding down their position. But a lot of times, you know, doing what you're supposed to do means that you're going to be, you know, almost uh, invisible in the play. And the fact that guys like Atagwe and Dahl have been so invisible at times, you know in big spurts throughout this season, I think speaks in large volume to how well they played. Um, you know, like you looked at last yeah. week, I mean, the Cardinals had an average gain of 3.8 per pass play. It's not just quarterback play that determines that number. A lot of it is a functioning secondary, and a large part of that secondary is safeties. And I th- I'm glad that you were able to highlight the safeties today because they deserve they deserve some focus, man, for what they've been able to do. And the the sad part is, like I said, when they do it right, a lot of the time that means that you're just not noticing them. Yeah, and that was, you know, I, I, some people were kind of down on a togway last year. I mean, I'll put myself in, in that mix as well. But, you know, he didn't have as good of a season as he had. He was hurt. He missed the last four games with injury anyway. Um, you know, he didn't he didn't have that bevy of interceptions that fans had kind of gotten used to for a togway. But, you know, that's the system thing, 3K. You come back to that system thing. That's a – Spagnolio's defense is all about guys being in positions and being part of the system and being part of the – the functioning unit as opposed to, you know, when Otagway had those receptions, part of the deal was the Rams' defense was so bad that the only chances they really had for themselves were just to play the ball like that and send send a guy like Otagway in there to, 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 to try to get the turnovers, force the fumbles and get the INTs. Now he's forced the fumbles this year, but he doesn't have the INT numbers that, you know, you for a while had gotten used to from Otagway. But, you know, like you said, he's he's played – exceedingly well for his role in the defensive system. And it's been, yeah. you know, they've been key contributors. He has. And I'll, I'll throw out a couple stats that kind of suggest what's going on with O.J. Atagway. First off is the fact that people aren't throwing his way as much. Um, you see that both in terms of the interception numbers, but also in terms of tackles. When O.J. Atagway is the first guy to get up there, he's going to create more forced fumbles than when the tackle's made before he can get over there. And I think that's part of it. That speaks to what the Rams have been able to do on defense, you know, to the point that the safeties aren't involved in the play because the play's already dead by the time O.J.'s getting to the ball. Uh-huh. Um, right now he's got 55 tackles. Last year through 12 games he had 74 tackles, almost 20 more. So that suggests how much he was at the ball. And then secondly is the fact that this Rams defense is getting a lot better at using him in different ways. He's already got two sacks this season. That's a career high. So – it's not that he's being asked just to sit back and spy the quarterback and play that interception. And, yeah, it's, it's a glamorous role when you can have a season like you did back in 07 and get your eight interceptions and a and a return for a touchdown, get that pick six. But 
we know what that means for the team overall and how that translates to wins. I'm, I'm much happier with being able to take uh, the 2010 version of the Rams and the 2010 version of O.J. Atagwe. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Hey, hey. let me pick your brain real quick. Are we going to call her? No, I was going to say, if after this question, I, I figure we could go through the thread because some of these questions are starting to pile up. I figure we'll hit them up after you know what? Let's uh, just the jump brain the thread. Let's, yeah, let's jump let's, at it. Let's, Let's get in the thread. And I know you're going to like the uh, the first one because this is a, a weekly head-scratcher. Greco, is this the week that Greco finally comes back and sees the field? What What's going on? Is this is this the time? I, you know, I don't know, 3K. To me, it looks like New Orleans, with the way New Orleans is playing, it, it seems like you probably would be fine with Adam Goldberg in there because of the pass-blocking issue because the New Orleans defense is much more of a – a blitz first kind of unit than they are that stout, thick wall that is hard to move, you know, like what we saw even in Arizona. That You know, that was one thing about the Arizona game last week that was one good functioning part of the Arizona team was their front line was pretty good. So I, I, I think you probably won't. I think it's probably status quo. Yeah, I mean, it's a, uh, it's an interesting situation. And, uh, Ramrod already fired back at me, so he, he said, no, this isn't going to be it, and you're agreed. So I guess we're all on the same page. But it's it's definitely something that people are looking at every week because it's, it's something interesting to think about. And here's another one from VT, and we talked about this before the Denver game. How much does fatigue play into tomorrow's game, knowing that, you know, Breeze is going to be firing off on all cylinders and this is a passing offense? If the defense is going to be off the field, that means our offense is going to be on quite a bit. Do you think that the fatigue role is going to be a, a difference maker tomorrow? Well, I just think you want your offense on the field as much as possible tomorrow. Fatigue or if fatigue, well, if this was game one of the season or game fourteen of the season, week fourteen of the season, I think you want against New a team that can score the way New Orleans can score. You want your offense on the field as much as possible. That's the first part of it. And yeah, fatigue could be a factor. I mean, we've seen our D backs a few times in recent weeks cramp up. Now, I don't know that the Rams they practice hard, but I don't know that they've been practicing quite. As um, from what you read in the paper, anyway, practicing quite to the level where they're, you know, they've injured their hamstrings by the Friday before the game. But um, yeah, it's definitely a factor, I think. Don't you? Yeah, I mean, I, it, a lot of it, I think, is going to depend on how the game plays out. I think it's hard to say before certain games what what the key is going to be. But I wouldn't be surprised if fatigue ends up being one of those things that, in hindsight, we look back on and say, man, that was a. a there was a key determinant in terms of how this game played out, whether that means it's in our favor or in the Saints' favor. But, you know, I I, yeah. I think we've seen a lot of games where we're worried about, even the Denver game, where we're worried about fatigue, but we were able to get off the field so quickly on offense that by the time the fourth quarter came around on defense, they were going into quick strike mode. And I don't think the, the altitude and the fatigue played as much a uh, – a point in the game that a lot of us were expecting it to. But it's it's something to think about. You know, that's why I love my boy VT. He's always thinking outside the box, man. That's right. That's why That's why we love VT. And, and we love him for the breakdowns. Props for the breakdowns. New angles How this week. I'm not, glad the to see the breakdown are, back. We love the breakdowns. Breakdowns are the bomb. And I encourage if you anyone listening, if you haven't read today's or viewed today's breakdown, rather, check it out. We talked a lot about the outside linebacker issues. This this week's breakdown gets right at the heart of that. It's a great breakdown, so go check it out. And new camera angles this week, 3K, in the breakdown. Did you notice that? 
I did. It was it is good you know. Every week uh, I'm amazed at the technical ability in, in the breakdown. I'm pretty sure that somewhere in VT's house he's got a midget chained up and every week he lets him out and says, All right, time for a breakdown, get the work midget and the midget's like and gets all excited and <laughs> help him put together his weekly breakdown. NFL films. Feeds him some fish heads. Now get back get back to your chain. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> And VT, if that if that's true, I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry. I'll come visit you in jail, but uh, it is we won't what it tell is. Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, points on Pisa from VT, and the you know, like Ramrod said, Ramrod said, you know, Pisa was a warrior. It kind of sucked. I think that was the most painful uh, of the changes and the losses and the turnover of the roster for me personally, because he was a good guy. He was quiet. He, he was the Isaac Bruce type. You know, he's that quiet professional that's going yeah. out and doing what he's supposed to do and doesn't care about the media and doesn't care about the lack of scrutiny or the scrutiny when it's there. You know, he just goes out and does what he's supposed to do, and it kind of it kind of sucked to have to let a guy like that go knowing that we were about to turn the corner. Yeah, and the injuries were starting to take a toll on him too. Yeah, that's definitely true. But, I mean, part of that size, you know, playing outside linebacker the at the speed he plays, I mean, you, yeah. you know it when you see guys like a – What's his name? Safety up in Colts that gets hurt every three games. Uh, oh, oh, man. Uh, How can I Bob not think Sanders. of his name? Yeah, Bob Sanders. I mean, when you're undersized and you play that physical and throw your body into people with with that much force, you're going to get hurt. It's the way it is, man. But, that, yeah. I mean, that also says something about the character of those guys, that they know they're going to get hurt, and they still go out there and give it 100%. Um, yeah, just like absolutely. Ramrod just said right now, he's playing through injury. He plays with heart, and he played like the way you want a guy to play. It just sucks that he wasn't gifted with the kind of body that other guys get. Uh, another yeah. point by Tevin on outside linebackers, noting, you know, how, how what is the ceiling on James Laurinaitis? I mean, that's an interesting that's an interesting topic to try to go over one day. How good can Man. James Laurinaitis be? I it's pretty pretty damn good right now as it is. I you know and and. This is his second year. I mean, how much better can he get? I mean, what what more do you expect out of him? I mean, I guess that's kind of the question. I, I think it'd be interesting to see what he could do when the Rams do kind of address the outside linebacker situation a little bit. I think that might free him, Laurinaitis, up even a little more from kind of taking on some of that extra responsibility in the middle there. Yeah, I think another thing that's going to be interesting in terms of improving the personnel is the defensive line. You know, if James yeah. Laurinaitis is going to start to gain greater, gain greater confidence in a defensive line, knowing that certain lanes are going to be assigned to defensive linemen and that he won't have to worry about assigning guys to those lanes. You know, when you you can see him in digs or you see him, we saw him with Vavora, you know, picking out these lanes and trying to assign people here in the way that you have that defensive coordinator sometimes either at the safety or at the middle linebacker spot on the field to be able to adjust the, the that entire side of the ball. I, I can't wait to see us with a greater defensive line bed of talent that he's able to direct. And when he gets that confidence, I mean, that's the kind of area that I think his ceiling depends on, is being able to, to see the field the yeah. same way Bradford does, the same way guys like Peyton Manning, Matt Ryan, Drew Brees do. Uh, I think we've really got something special in James Laurinaitis, not only because of what he does after the ball snap, but what he's able to do before. Well, and that was an interesting thing. The PD had that article about Laurinaitis and, and you know, kind of his role in quarterbacking the defense. I mean, and, and it's a lot more than just quarterbacking the defense. I mean, he's kind of an essential part of dis- determining the game plan for the defense. I mean, his asset isn't just his head. It isn't just his heart and his body. His asset's his head. I mean, he just has that kind of 
savant-like ability to to understand the what's going on on the field and where players need to be and get people lined up and, and you know that's the it's amazing. I mean, and that's one thing. The PD article was great today, but it doesn't even get into half of the detail that I think, you know, the people at TST, the hardcore fans at TST would like to get into of, okay, we want to hear more about the gap assignments. We want to hear more about how you're lining up the linebackers and assigning coverage with the cornerbacks and the safeties there. But, I mean, that's, you know, talk about an asset. You see his talent on the field, but that that the the captain side of it, that, that field general aspect that he's bringing – to the defense is, I mean, you, it, that's hard to put a value on. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I said it a couple weeks ago, and I took some flack for it when I said that, the, you know, I, I'm you could make a case that James Laurinaitis is important to the Rams overall as Sam Bradford is. And I know a lot of people got, you know, <clears throat> disturbed by the idea because we see the kind of improvement the Rams have had from last year to this year. But I think, I, I hope people understand the defense overall is better simply because James Laurinaitis is the best middle linebacker we've had since London Fletcher. It really is that simple. And, yeah. and, and maybe to a degree Laurinaitis is better at those kind of things, that, you know, what, what that post-dispatch article was trying to detail, than what London Fletcher is better at. Well, and I think, too, I mean, and that's one of the – I think some of the personnel moves have been important, obviously, for the defense. Like Fred Robbins has been a, an excellent addition for the defensive line, but – you know, for the most part, the personnel, the starting 11 on defense hasn't changed that much from this year to last, other than, you know, for health reasons with last year. But uh, the personnel hasn't changed that much. What's happened is is these are guys that understand the scheme and they understand assignments, they understand roles, they understand how the system works. And a big part of that is having a, your brains of the operation like James Laurinaitis on the field that, that gets you up to speed, the guy that takes the, the – that watches – the umpteenth hour of film to make sure that he knows what's going on out there when they're going against these diff- uh, different offense every week. And that's a, that's a huge part of the Rams improvement this year. It's huge. Yeah. I'm just going to fast forward. Cause I know we're running out of time. We got about seven minutes. It looks like left oh. of live airtime. And then we'll go into the overtime, which you can hear when you download it to your iPod. Cause I know everybody listens on the way to work. You know, tap that iPod in. Now you got Tersho Radio on the way to work. That way you don't, right. don't shoot up everybody at the post office because I know everybody that watches, <laughs> that listens to Tersho Radio works at the post office. So don't shoot up nobody at post office. It's Christmas time, man. Come on. Be good people. Um, score predictions. Score predictions. What do you think, Van? Do you do you have some numbers in mind? Well, I, you know what? Here's Predictions are my least favorite part because – the bottom line is, when it comes to predictions, it's just like gambling for me. I'm a chicken shit when it comes right down to it for that sort of thing. I, you know, I don't know 3K. This is it's hard for me to to, to call score. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna be an optimist. I'm gonna say 36 to 32 Rams. Nice. Wow. Wow. See, everybody's going off on New Orleans. We got VT had New Orleans by six. Ramrod had New Orleans by three. Tevin had the Saints by 13, so it's a a lot of these numbers coming up are, are New Orleans. I, I'm going to agree with with the the conventional wisdom on the side. I think New Orleans is going to win, but I think it's going to be up in the area that you're talking about. I'm going to go with a 
I'll go with 30 to 38. New Orleans with an eight-point win, but I think it's going to be a lot more points than a lot of these other scores are suggesting. And just a note, when you talk about, you know, gambling and scores, I suck at the scores, but damn it, do I love some gambling, man. One day we may have to do a tertiary radio on crap strategy. And uh, I'll go through that, some of my old stories. People who saw my Facebook this week saw me up there with Luda shaking hands. Here's a story back in the day. I want to say 2005. I was in the high roller room at the Hard Rock Hotel in Vegas. I was not very sober, and I got to play blackjack with Jason Giambi and Ice-T. So how, how's that for, for my network, man? man? Just throwing out names. Just doing a little name calling. That's all I'm saying. Man, that is impressive, 3K. That is very impressive. It was for about the six minutes that my chip stack lasted until I blew it all and then went up and passed out in the room at about 1 o'clock in the afternoon. But as, for as long as it lasted, it was, a, it was a good time, man. It was a good time. I do like the blackjack, I'll have to say. I will have to say. I, have, I, I, may, not bet on, I may not bet on games, but I, I do enjoy the blackjack. So, uh, and that's that's one thing I've always thought is interesting about gambling. Because as much as I love gambling, I love casinos. I never bet sports. I'm just not a sports better. I mean, maybe it's yeah. because I watch it enough to know that it's impossible to predict. I mean, I don't. <laughs> and I like Tevin's comment. 3K is a bad role model. I am a bad role model, man. I hope people don't let their children listen to me on tertiary radio. <laughs> I, I completely admit I'm a bad role model. But hey, the I'm always interested. Pretty clean, at least. I do my best, man. But as soon as I get off the phone, then I gotta let it all out. So, um, in case we get into the overtime, I may drop, you know, some of my new curse words. These new Louisiana, yo, skillhead, what you doing there? Yo, camel neck, you know, things like that, where people hear and are like, what? I don't even know that's a curse word. Um, well, here's the deal, 3K. Those uh, those Gulf Coast, well, Tunica, I guess, is even closer from where I'm at, but. I, I, I mean, we might have to have a, a Turf Show Times meetup down there at some of those fancy Gulf Coast casinos one of these days. For hey, a little Mississippi, little, man. That's right, a little X's and O's, a little side trip for X's and O's at the casino level. There you go. And like VT said, if I play Texas Hold'em, I'll tell VT, I was on the tour for a while. I used to play a World Poker Tour events uh, for a while, both in Shreveport, New Orleans, and Tunica. So I play Hold'em, I play Raz, I play Upside, I can play Pineapple. I can go I can go across the board with some poker, man. But see, now we're getting really off track. Let's bring, let's bring it back, man. Help me out, man. Seg- segue me back to the draft to help close this out. Well, I, I, we have any more questions in the thread? Most Kevin's, questions are Kevin's at, thing about trading Bartell, I, that's I think I think that is, is going to deserve a post, don't you think, three K? It might. I mean, we talked about trading guys. We talked about trading Stephen Jackson. I, I think it's worth discussion. I, I I I hope people don't see that and get so uh, uh, offended by the idea that they're not willing to give it enough uh, honest, you know. Uh, thought and really look at it at what the potential positives and negatives would be out of it. But I, I don't think you can ever look at a team and really outside of a guy maybe like Sam Bradford, the really, 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 really important guys to a franchise that you know you're not going to trade. Everybody else, I think it's, it's always interesting to think about what, what kind of situations you could have and how that would impact a team on, on both sides. Well, and, you know, and this is a new era for football, too, with the CBA thing. And, and you know, we still don't know what's going to happen you know, with the agreement next year, but uh, I, trades are. I, I think you know, at least for the time being, trades are going to be a bigger deal than they used to be with within the NFL. The, you know, since at least since the last labor agreement. But uh, I, you know, that's why I say it's interesting the Bartel thing. I wouldn't, 
I, you know, I'd, I, I'd love to hear more about it, and I'd love to hear other people's thoughts about it because it's a that's that's interesting stuff to consider, and that's the nice thing about TST. It's like that's the kind of shit. I mean, stuff we can roll out and talk about all go. day long on 3K. You old mud mouth. You throwing that out there with that old nasty milk knock bottom. Yeah, I think I think a lot of it that would be interesting would be to see what the value is for him across the league. I mean, something that really surprised me was when a Togway kind of a semi-tested free agency this year. You know, I, I yeah. was surprised that he didn't get uh, more love than he, than he did on the open market. So maybe maybe Bartel's the opposite. Maybe a cornerback of his experience and his resume would attract the kind of trade offers that you look at and say, there's no way I can pass this up. I, don't, I, I just don't know. But it's something well, we're and I hate about. To, and I, I hate to throw out the C word, but there's also a, it's not exactly collusion, but when it comes to restricted free agents, there is that kind of, it seems like there's almost sometimes there's kind of an unwritten rule of owners and general managers where you don't mess with the, the restricted free agents, you know? Yeah. I mean, and even for a guy like a Togway who was tendered at the lowest level possible, that's you know you still read about that. I think Jerry Jones had a quote about it last year, specifically about a Togway because they were concerned about a, uh, you know, somebody trying to do that with Miles Austin too. So, yeah, it's true. We're about to go to overtime, so if we're fading out, we'll see you next week on Turshow Radio. I think I mean it's part of that. How much do you earn as a veteran? I mean, baseball had the same thing going on with Derek Jeter and the Yankees. I mean. You get it yeah. in different sports and you get it in different fashions, but I think the truth is a lot of people and a lot of managers understand that you earn more than just your salary by doing the right thing, not just game in, game out, week in, week out, but every single day and being the kind of person being the kind of person for the team that they need you to be. I think there's something to be said about that. So, I don't know. What do you yeah. think about draft, man? Where, where are we going to go for the draft this week? That's a good question, 3K. That is a very, very good question. And, and you know, I was kind of thinking about it today. I'm like, you know, usually we take the prospects, we break down the prospects. It's a little early to be talking about trades and draft trades and stuff like that. So I don't know. Um, what do you think about this Vernier running back from Cal? I linked yeah. to a mock draft today that, that had the Rams going with him in the second round. Now, I, you know – all that aside, just kind of bringing it back to the prospect side of things, what do you think about this guy? I haven't seen him much, I'll be honest with you. I haven't seen him at play. all. He can play. I think part of it, Shane Vereen's an interesting guy, not only because of his speed. He's probably going to run, if I had to guess, he'll run somewhere in the 4-4 range, probably high 4-4s. Four um, but, but the thing is, he, the role that he's played at Cal is pretty much similar to what people are going to expect him to do in the NFL. And I think that speaks to why Javid Best was drafted where he was. So the question becomes, if you have a guy that, that does exactly what he's going to do in the NFL, does that increase his draft stock? I think it does for a lot of people. Um, yeah. That's why I don't I don't think he's as electric as a lot of other people. I don't think he's got a ceiling for a guy, somebody that I've talked up really often, Jordan Todman from Connecticut. I think Todman's yeah. got a higher ceiling as a kind of change of pace back, but you've seen what he did at college, and now Javid Vest, you know, translated to Detroit and look at where he's gotten. So I think, uh, you know, if you're talking about the Rams specifically, I don't think Vereen's the kind of guy that gives you the change of pace that, that I would hope to get. Uh, when you couple a guy with Steven Jackson. But he's definitely an interesting candidate. I think part of it will come down to see what that brute speed, what his raw speed is when we get through the combine. 
Um, to, and, and to see how he finishes. You know, that bowl game that Cal's got coming up is going to be interesting, too. Yeah, you know, and another thing I'd say, another thing I was thinking with the draft today, this is this is what escaped me, but I, I keep kind of coming back to that, you know, if the Rams win the NFC West, it, it's going to change our draft position pretty significantly. And I, I think one thing oh, sure. that you get lower down in the draft like that, one thing that that definitely opens up is, is more possible, more potential for trade. I just said it's too early to talk about trade, so. But it does open up more possibility, more potential for trade when you're down there in that realm of picks. It's not like number the number one pick where everyone's kind of afraid to to take that, to trade for that pick, given the cost and given the, you know, what it costs to sign those players and what it costs to to, to trade for that pick. But oh, you know, sure. when you get down to number 21, 22, I mean, that's where a lot of those first-round trades are always starting to happen down there. And it's about... You know, teams moving up to get a guy on their draft board, and you know the cost of the signing the players at 21 is a lot different than it is 20 picks up the ladder, obviously. Um, you know, so that that's going to make a really interesting scenario this year. And then, like I say, this whole CBA thing. And I think right now you're probably just better off assuming that there's not going to be an NFL season next year the way it's going. I hate to be like that. Um, I unfortunately am probably innately cynical, but uh, I hate to say that, but, you know, that's going to change things, too. I mean, I don't it's know how yet. I really don't, but in terms of the draft, but that's a, you know, it's definitely going to make things a little different. It's going to make things a lot more interesting this year, for better or for worse. But, yeah, you know, with that 21st position in the draft, that's that's interesting, and then, and then you start to get, because I think down there, and this goes hand-in-hand hand with the trade comment, is that, you know, there you can start, it's more about, you know, the guy's on your draft board, where they are on your draft board, and their availability in the draft, and that's something we've seen the Rams do in the low, in the in the in the rounds outside of the first round. Now, it's hard to to judge because they've had the one and two pick for the last three years in the draft. So, um, you know, that'll be interesting to see the Rams. You know, they surprised a lot of people by taking Roger Saffold. Surprised a lot of people with Jerome Murphy. Certainly surprised a lot of people with Michael Humano Wanui. Um, you know, surprises all over the draft in those lower rounds, and then they're they were drafting based on the value on their draft board, not the not the overall Mel Kiper Jr. draft board. So that'll be interest. That's an interesting factor going into that lower end of the draft, lower end of the first round for the Rams this year too. Yeah, totally. But the, the one note I would make on that is a lot of times once you get past that initial hump of the first round, when you get closer to the tradeability, the tradable spots. A lot of the times, what it becomes is a hunt for a specific guy. And yeah. you know, if we're holding, if we're holding that twenty-first spot and a prospect that everybody was hoping, you know, would be gone by, let's say twelve or fifteen, and he's still available at twenty-one, that's when you start getting calls from teams who say, "Look, it's not that I want your pick; it's that I want this guy." And I know that if I don't get him, then whoever it comes is picking twenty-second could take him. You you just yeah. have to be lucky some years to be able to have that position so that you can fool a Denver team into trading up to take Tim Tebow. Um, if it works out that way, that'd be great because you know you're going to get value in getting more picks or moving up somewhere else or whatever it is that you get. And you're, we're still going to get quality players from wherever we pull out uh, of that first round. So hopefully we yeah. get the, we we get that kind of opportunity. You see what it what it does for a team like New England who's now got what I think six picks. I think they got two picks in each of the first three rounds. New England's – you can't say enough about how well they run this team, man. They've rebuilt the entire roster, and they've done it 
underneath the umbrella of playoff success almost every single year. And now they're about to bring in six players in the first three rounds of this draft. It's going to be silly. Oh, and, and if anything, that, that playoff success has made their draft strategy even more successful because they have those you know, those picks later in the rounds that they can start jockeying around with. And that's how they, you know, that's how they end up with six picks in the first round as opposed to, you know, one in the first, one in the second, one in the third, like most other teams do. And that's the, you know, the they're the the J.R. Ewing family of, of the NFL. You love to hate them, but by God, they're damn good at what they do. Can I say damn the, after? <laughs> Into the overtime, I think so. I, I think, okay. and that's to me as a draft guy, that's one of the things that I think has made the AFC the more dominant conference throughout the regular season. Is that you have you're going to have the normal highs and lows of certain teams, like you know the Rams over the past couple of years hitting that low, mm-hmm. uh, the Bills, Cleveland, you know going through their peaks and valleys, and of course you're going to have teams that get real good, whether it's Minnesota or the Jets or whoever it may be. But I think what AFC the really the thing that really puts them over the top is that they have two two you know, franchises in Baltimore and New England that consistently every single year find ways to make their team better. They do every single year. They're as good as any team I've ever seen and maintaining yeah. their own viability year in, year out. So if you take them out of it, I think the AFC and the NFC matches up pretty well, but when you, may, when you keep New England and Baltimore in there, that's why they're the better conference is because you've got two franchises that refuse to let one year go by without making themselves noticeably better through the draft. And it makes it, it, makes it really hard when you're a Rams team and you're looking at these guys like, man, how do we get to that point? And the answer is I have no idea. I have no idea how they pull it off every year. No, and that's interesting. You know, that's a – That'll be key. I mean, you know, this is a, a new era for the Rams all around, and you know, not having a pick in the first three picks is going to change things pretty significantly for for the Rams this year. And and what I suspect are many years beyond that. Yeah, now, in and terms I think of I said the he, players. It's well, I'm sorry. Go ahead, three K. No, I was just going to say. I think I said either last week or the week before. I think you could argue that this is going to be the most important off season that we've had in the last couple of years because there's so much more at stake. We know. We already know, going into next year, everybody and their mother who doesn't watch football is going to pick the Rams to win the NFC West. We just built the team up to that point where you expect them to get yeah. better to the degree that we're going to win the division in hand. And, you know, of course, everybody at Tershow Times, I'm sure ourselves included, are going to assume that that's the case. And if that is the case, then you know that what this draft is about is bolstering a playoff team. We haven't been in that position in years. This is going to be a crucial offseason. Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely, and it's interesting, you know, talking just a quick thought on the players for, you know, talking about what players are going to be there at number twenty-one. It's there's so much left to go because the bowl games and then like the senior bowl and the combine, obviously, all, all that is going to start, you know, injuries that happen between now and the end of April. That all that's going to start, all that's really going to shake this up a lot. Now, you know, you it's you have some guys that are obvious, like Andrew Luck, you know, obviously is a top three pick, but. You know, you, you start getting beyond that, and, and it's you know it's just like last year. There was a period of time where, you know, people were talking about Gerald McCoy above and Dami Kong Su, or Jimmy Clausen above Sam Bradford. Absolutely, Jimmy Clausen is the first overall pick in some cases this time last year. So, you know, I I, I love the mock drafts. I love Lincoln in the mock drafts. I love reading the mock drafts in November and December. But you know, everybody knows that you got to take that with with a with a pretty big caveat when you see those things that that all that all those boards are going to look a hell of a lot different three or four months from now 
Yeah, that's why I tried to hold off on the mock drafts for at least another month or so because mm-hmm. at this point there, it's almost just a uh, a good way of a repeating the conventional wisdom that everybody already assumes about certain prospects, and then b throwing out whatever your individual wild cards are. You know, I threw Nick Foles in the first round, and my the only mock draft I did that was after uh, after last year's draft. I had a Oh, geez, I don't remember. I'm sure I had some wacky other players. I know I had uh, Sam Acho, defensive end from Texas. I thought he was really going to explode to be the premier 3-4 outside linebacker in this draft, and he, mm-hmm. he just hasn't cemented that. So everybody's got these random people that they end up liking for whatever reason. Sometimes they fit, sometimes they don't. Um, but to do a mock draft where you're really pinning people to certain teams, it's hard to do because, you know, there's so much uncertainty, yeah. not just in the prospects, but in terms of the needs that certain teams have at, at this point. It's really going to look a lot different. Uh, month to month, and then as we get into you know March, it's going to look different week to week. And by the end of the month, every hour you could do a different mock draft. Oh, and that's just by the time March rolls around, it's ridiculous how many mock drafts are out there. It's fun, don't get me wrong, but it's it's amazing the the level of mock draft madness that you get at that point. Hey, Tricky, let me throw out another draft question for you. This is this is another one that that popped into my clouded mind today. Um. How much more risk, per se, do you think the Rams are going to start taking with players this year? And I'm talking more about not the developmental prospects like you got, you know, like Anubon and, and some of that, some of those guys, but I'm talking more about the character risk. Now, obviously, they're not going to go out and draft the wide receiver from Iowa that just got, you know, busted last yeah. week. That we, the real Johnson big like honest. that. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, and I mean, how much more leeway do you think the Rams are going to start? And this is a purely hypothetical question, but I mean, how much more leeway do you think the Rams are going to start taking with with player with personnel like that? I mean, we yeah, saw, I mean, it's a great. You know, there was some interest in Vincent Jackson this year, and that's certainly a guy sure. that you wouldn't necessarily eyeball him and say, yeah, he passes the four pillars test. I mean, now with the draft rolling around in, in free agency, well, what do you think about the Rams in that? It's a, it's a great question. I think I have to take it kind of rhetorically because obviously, it's, you know, without the kind of access that guys at the post dispatch and whatnot get, um, we, we don't know. We don't know if there's a mentality shift. I think the key is going to be how how much do they value the four pillars at this point? We know it was important to them building the team and building a core of people who were team first, and all. You know, we've gone over them: faith, character, core values, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. I think I think the key question is going to be how close are they and how much of that are they willing to sacrifice to get them over the hump. Some teams will sacrifice it all from the beginning, whether it's Cincinnati, Dallas, <clears throat> excuse me. They'll just go for talent, and they don't care about the character of people. And a lot of times that plays itself out to the kind of records that you got out of the Cowboys and the Bengals this year. But other times, you know, you have teams that are willing to to give people second chances to – to help mold these prospects into into being, you know, better professionals. And a lot of times that stuff that was, quote-unquote, off-the-field incidents doesn't really matter. You look at a guy like Mike Williams on Tampa Bay. He, a lot of his off-field incidents was simply he just didn't care about school. It's not that he was a bad, you know, bad teammate or, or that this or that. He yeah. just didn't care about school, and that held him back from being able to participate, and eventually he gave up. Um, you got an off-field incident with Adrian Claiborne, the defensive end from Iowa, who I originally mocked yeah. to the Rams back in, what was it, April or March of last year. Um, his off-field incident essentially stemmed from he was out one night with his boys, and a taxi cab driver uh, used a uh, racial epithet, let's say, um, 
and Adrian Claiborne did what he should have done and knocked the cat out. Um, but, yeah. you know, how, how much – is that really something that holds you back? I don't think so. I mean, that's not a big deal. That's not like a the kind of guy that's going to tear a locker room apart from within. It's not an Albert Hainsworth that people are going to look at and say, I don't want to play with yeah. this guy. He's not a team player. The, the problem now is uh, – are the people that have those kinds of issues and the people that have the kind of issues like DJK out of Iowa did that you mentioned, the, you know, DUIs or the kind of behavior that's obviously going to incur the wrath of a Goodell and, and really keep you out of the lineup and, and then, you know, hurt the team in that fashion the same way Vincent Jackson did. How, how much of that is a, a value to the Rams? Is, is it more important to maintain the kind of character and the kind of core that we've done thus far? Or is it more important to just get us over the hump and, you know, four pillars be damned? It's a great question, but I think uh, – I, I don't know that we'll ever get a real answer from it from anybody until we see what kind of body of work this offseason puts together for Devaney. No, and, and I think, too, you know, a lot of it with the players themselves, it just comes down to an individual judgment call. I mean, it's, and and that's one thing, you know, to the Rams' credit that they've done with the draft. And obviously, you know, they did that with the Sam Bradford pick more than any other pick. But you know, it's just that in-depth kind of analysis of of the player's character and the player's personality. I mean, yeah, it's not unusual for a 21, 22-year-old kid to get a DUI. I, or so I've heard, at any rate. But you know, right. kids kids are kids, and they screw up and they do things like that. And it's just. You know, it's that it's like the Adrian or the Adrian Claiborne situation. Perfect example of that. Is it, you know, is that does that make you a serial offender with a character problem, or does that make you a guy that just maybe you know, you 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 had a few too many drinks and you you drove one night and you got busted for it? But sure, is it, you know, it, it's it's an individual player personality issue in a lot of cases. I think you know, is it a, is there a pattern of screw ups? Is there a you know, is there you know, a genuine willingness to right the wrong that's been done, or is it, you know, is it, you know, is this, like you say with Mike Williams, is it the school thing? I mean, it's like, yeah. And, how, yeah. You know, and a lot of times how college, wrong is You know, not everybody's a Rhodes Scholar. I was going to say, and a lot of times how wrong is the wrong? I mean, here's one for you that, for a guy that's been mocked to the Rams a lot, that a lot of people at Tertial Times are hoping for, Justin Blackman, the sophomore out of Oklahoma State. It, it mm-hmm. kind of flew under the radar because it wasn't a big deal. But he got a, it was, I think it was classified as a DUI. But he had a very, very minimal amount of alcohol in his system. He had gone to the Monday night football game uh, that was in Dallas. And obviously he goes to Oklahoma State. He was underage, but he, apparently he had two drinks, didn't have a drink after, I think, the middle of the third quarter because he was driving home. And when they stopped him, he had a measurable amount of alcohol in his system. Now, had he been over 21, it wouldn't have been a DUI, but because he was underage, he was yeah. charged. How much does that factor in? I mean, that, that's a. Yeah. I, I, exactly. Do you really want to look at your fan base and say, "Look, we don't want college kids who drink alcohol." Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, so, All right. Not getting any players. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so. and that's you know, it's <laughs> going back to the Adrian Claiborne thing. It's like only in Iowa are you going to get a cab driver who's making racial epithets to. To other people, you know what I mean, and I can just imagine like the okay, first off, and this is not to insult cab drivers, but if you're a cab driver and you live in Iowa, man, that is like a double face slap on the quality of life that you must have attained. I'm just saying cab driver in Iowa City, yikes, and then you got to be stupid enough to see the you know a guy who's six foot four, two hundred sixty five pounds, and oh, he's the one you want to call out, okay. 
That makes yeah. sense. You are a very intelligent. You must be, you know, cab driver of the week. I mean, the guy got what he deserved, and it sucks for Adrian Claiborne that I'm sure it's going to get brought up as we get closer to draft day. But, you know, those things yeah. don't bother me as much as a fan in terms of bringing somebody to the team than the guys who have the character issues. And, when you know, it's a good question. It's going to be difficult to, to figure out what the leaning is from the front office on how much they're willing to get, you know, how much of that they're willing to bring into this locker room. And, and that's the thing. When you're picking second, you don't have to worry about it because you know those guys aren't going to be there. The guys that are at the top are generally going to be your hardest working, best players, the model citizens, the guys who have earned the reason that they're going, you know, first, second, yeah. third, fourth overall in the draft. Now that you're down at 21, you're going to get a lot of guys who are just incredibly athletically talented. And may not have the best resume outside. You know, they may not have the uh, mm-hmm. extracurricular activities that match up with guys like Tim Tebow or Isaac Bruce or Sam Bradford, those kinds of things. It's going to be yeah. an interesting referendum on the state of this front office. Yeah, absolutely it is. It is, And I guess, you know, you, then you can probably get into the whole philosophical, or not, not, not the time or the place now, but, you know, or, do we hold college football players to a – you know, college football players bound for the NFL to an unrealistic set of standards, an unfair right. set of standards as any other college kid. I mean, that, that you right. can hold yourself or your own kids or friends to. You know what I mean? It's just, well, they're you know, student athletes. They're student athletes. They're just like any other That's student. Right. Come on. What do you mean? They're just that, student athletes. Exactly. I'm sure I was a disgrace to the history majors at the University of Wyoming with some of my college behavior. But, hey, I turned it around. I found my pillars. And here I am on Turf Show Radio. <laughs> you just kind of walked into the pillars one day. Oh, there it is. All right. I'll I be damned. It. There they are. I was drunk and passed out and hit them in the head. They hit me in the head. I will, I will say this, and I just learned this this week, and this shows you how much uh, I talked to my wife about her alma mater. She went to New Mexico State. It's the only fight song in Division One athletics that talks about getting drunk in the fight song. Interesting. Man. For you. And, uh. I thought that was pretty awesome. I applaud them for their honesty. Wow. New Mexico State. Las Cruces. Or is that Las Vegas? Hey, no, that's Las Cruces. That's impressive. That's impressive you pulled that out, man. Hey, I, I know New Mexico. I, I'm telling you what, I, I know New Mexico pretty, pretty well. And as a matter of fact, if anybody in the Albuquerque or Santa Fe area knows of job opportunities, give me a call sometime. So, <laughs> there you, know, you go. Hey, just, we're know, turning social radio there. into a multifaceted. It's not just informing <laughs> you about Rams and general pop culture now. It's an employment avenue. That's what I'm talking about. That's man. right. Hey, man, I'm out here hustling just like everybody else. I got to, you know, one yeah. of my pillars, networking. You know what I'm saying? There you go. Get your hustle on. I will say this, though. You know, we talked about cabbies in uh, Iowa. If you're a cabbie in New Mexico, I hope you didn't laugh at the cabbie in Iowa joke because you're pretty much on that same lo- bottom rung of the ladder. <laughs> I don't know, last time I was in Albuquerque, I had a pretty good cabbie. He he took my friend and I to to some choice spots that out of towners wouldn't necessarily know about. So you know, I do like the fact that. that you called them choice choice spots. Well put, well put. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And we'll say if you're in yes. Albuquerque, go to TD's North, not TD's East. All right, that's all I'm gonna say. <laughs> I love it, man. That's a great great coda. Great, great way to wrap up our show radio. Some Albuquerque <laughs> Lonely Planet from Van. <laughs> That's right. That's, That's right. Awesome. Any of your Rocky Mountain South or and or Southwest low rent destinations, talk to me. I'm your guy. <laughs> I'm gonna hook you up with all the hot spots. So 
3K, I guess we've got to find some way to segue from that back to the Rams because we've got to wrap this thing up. Well, the Rams were able to escape the Rockies, man. They went to Denver. They got the win. You know, not right. the most austere of conditions, and we're going to start seeing it this week. There's going to be some seriously uh, blizzardy – I know that's probably not a word outside of Dairy Queen, but it is going to, there are going to be some, some nasty, nasty weather conditions for a lot of games going on. I am thankful that we have so many domes that we get to play in over the end of the season because uh, – you know, we're just not yeah. without a team that's acclimated to the cold weather. When you talked about Pittsburgh, Baltimore, New England, they, they want that because they know it gives them an advantage. So I'm glad to see that we got the domes, but we got to get it going tomorrow. Yeah, and that's you know, like that's gonna not to jump too far ahead, but that's that's that could be this Week 17 game against Seattle. If that game is to determine NFC West, man, weather got to think about the weather there. And this uh, this I hope it I hope it's global sloppy, warming man. world. It's a, it's yeah. Seattle's not quite as it's not just rainy out there anymore. It's gonna the be day crazy. after tomorrow. I hope it's sloppy. I hope it's sloppy because if it, if it, everything's on the line, that's going to be a really really memorable game. Absolutely, absolutely. And tomorrow, I think is going to be a memorable game for the Rams. Going to put it together. Well, going to get some points on the board. Going to give the Super Bowl champs a run for their money. I was going to say, let's hope it's memorable for the right reasons, man. That's right. That's right. I don't know. I've already <laughs> forgotten about the Detroit game, so. What game? What? We played Detroit. Oh, Detroit. you mean the one where Josh oh, yeah, Brown beat him with a field goal last year. Yeah, that's yeah. Right. yeah, I remember that game. Exactly. <laughs> 3K, as I'm always, just, it's hey. been good. We gave the we gave the, the good people of Turf Showtimes some bonus material here. Yeah, it was Lots a good one. Lots to listen to on the iPod this week. Yeah, iPod, and, you know, I guess, I guess it's Zoom capable or any other MP3. You know, I'm not that savvy sure. on that kind of stuff, but, you know. Any questions about how to get tertial, more tertial radio, we're always available, man. Game Threads, Facebook, Twitter, Facebook, Twitter, Facebook, Twitter, Facebook, Twitter. We're here. We're, and I I, let me just say one thing real quick about that. I, I know we've been pushing the social media stuff lately. I know not everybody's into social media. That's totally cool. It's certainly not a requirement. Um, we just kind of offer it. As an extra, I mean, you know, I know a lot of people that Facebook and Twitter are big access points for the internet. We just want to make sure that you can access Turf Show Times there. It doesn't. We're not taking anything off the site, anything away from the site in those channels. Those are just a natural extension of what you see on the website. That is still the hub, the the heart and soul of Turf Show Times, and will always be. Let me say, 3K. Yeah, I was Everything I kind of laughed. It's accessories. It's good to have, but you know. I was going to say I don't remember who wrote that, but I remember reading it and I laughed because and I laugh mainly because it's your responsibility and not mine, but this is something you're going to have to deal with over the next 2 years, especially when the Rams get good. You're going to have different generations of turf show timers. And you're going to have people who say, "Hold on, I've been here for a while. You owe me." And then you're going to have the new cats. A lot of those new cats are going to come from Facebook and Twitter, people that don't necessarily you know, pay as much attention or aren't tapped into the same kind of avenues that have gotten everybody to tertiary times to this point. That's not a bad thing. I think the more people we get involved and the more people that help generate the conversations that we have going to tertiary times, which every season and every month is more and more impressive to me and really you know, validates everything that you and I do and everybody else does behind the scenes. Uh, I, I don't think it's a bad thing that we get more people involved, but I, I, I laugh because I'm like, man, they, you know, you, you got a lot on your plate coming the next two years when you have to manage, you know, rookie noob 
TSTers and the the old timers that were there essentially before 2008. I guess I don't know what what what, what is the generational cutoff. I, I I used to be 30 years. It seems like it's like 10 years nowadays. So who knows? Yeah, and in online terms, I mean that first generation of Tertio timers. Who knows? I, I don't know where. I don't even know if I'm a first generation Tertio timer. I don't know. I, it's crazy because you go back. I, you know, when I started college, we didn't have the internet. We had a DOS-based email system. That was it. Those were the days. Little Those little blinking green days. cursor. C colon slash. Oh yeah, that's right. So maybe that's well, the next. That's the next internet venture. We'll have like the the DOS version of Turf Show Times. The big change directory. Mm. That's right. <laughs> The registry. A picture of Steven Jackson with plus signs, equal signs, yes. X's and O's and stuff like Just that. Just like them, uh, I mean? them spammers. And much uh, much love to you for killing the spam off. But I, I, I can't wait till we get back to the point where, where photos are like loading line by line and you can see them loading left to right. I, I kind of miss those <laughs> days, man. It really, it really yeah, it made you wild appreciate. Left. You never know what you were going to get. And you had to appreciate. You wouldn't just click on any picture. Now it's like, hey, it's a picture. It's a picture. It's a picture. Back then, you're like, it's a picture. Is it worth forty seconds of my time to wait to see what this picture is? You had to really make some, uh, you know, cost value analysis. And every time you had to click a link. Hey, it all, it all depends on what. It all, for me, it was always about what the URL was. If I was going to wait sure. for the pictures to download, so you know. Three K. It's been good. It's been another. Heartwarming edition of Turf Show Radio. I, I, it's hard to say, but it feels like this is getting better every week, man. I, th- I think we're starting to. Maybe we're peaking too what? early. Maybe we need to. Three maybe years we need in, to drop we're getting this a really, thing ironed out. I was gonna say maybe we need to drop a really crappy episode n- next week. Hey, you know, there's always the off season for that stuff. <laughs> let's let's go ahead and tank one episode just to make sure that people don't get their their hopes up too high. <laughs> That's right. That's right. We got this is amateur, not for, you know, this is we're not you go. this isn't our full-time job or anything like that. So, 3K, always good. Parting Man, thoughts. You know, what I, you know my thoughts. I don't have anything else. Just go Rams. Let's get it done tomorrow. Go Rams. Go Rams. Thanks for listening to Turf Show Radio everybody. Have a good night. 3K, have a good night. Take care Rams Nation. Hi, I'm Karis Fisher. I want to tell you about another podcast you should check out. It's called Recode Decode. Every week I talk to tech and media's key players about how they're changing our world. I interview tech executives like Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg, political figures like Hillary Clinton, and media personalities like John Kerryu, who literally wrote the book on Theranos. Once again, the name of the show is Recode Decode, hosted by me, Kara Swisher. You can find it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the show. See you there.